the great Allegheny Passage Trail, Priority Bicycles, the Irish Setter Club, Scotsman Woodworking, the National Parks Service, Thursday Boots, and Hugh Jackman. What do all of these have in common? They are all people or groups I follow on Instagram. (laughs) These are all, therefore I am a follower of these people or these groups, but I have never met any of them. I've never met representatives from any of these organizations or groups. I follow them because I like their brand, or I'm curious about their life, or because of the breed of our dog at home. I follow them, but I wouldn't actually say I am a follower of them. Which gets precisely to the heart of our text this morning. If you haven't already done so, I'd encourage you to open to Luke chapter 9. If you are using one of the Bibles under the seat in front of you and you're trying to find Luke chapter 9, it's going to be on page 867. If you don't have a Bible, we would encourage you to take that Bible as our gift to you. If you know someone who doesn't have a Bible, feel free to take that with you as, again, our gift to you this morning. We are continuing our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke. You will remember then that Luke was a physician He was a ministry traveling partner of the Apostle Paul, and Luke writes to a man named Theophilus, whose name means actually lover of God. He writes to Theophilus, and he writes to all of us who now read this letter with the expressed purpose of giving us assurance or giving us certainty concerning the things that we have been taught. And so to give us this certainty, he goes to great lengths to be as precise and as reliable as possible. He tells us in chapter 1, verse 3, that he writes down after following all things closely for some time. He writes after consulting eyewitnesses and ministers. And then he writes, he tells us, an orderly account. Again, to show us the certainty about the things that we have been taught. We have now made our way to Luke chapter 9. Jesus is well into his earthly ministry. He's preached the good news of the gospel. He's healed the sick. He's raised the dead. Along the way, he has chosen a group of people to be his specific followers. By now, Jesus has not only become popular with the crowds, but he has also become hated by the Jewish religious leaders who are looking for a way to trap him. And yet this does not stop Jesus, who continues his ministry of preaching and doing miracles. And here in chapter 9, he has just confirmed his identity to his closest followers. And he has told them that he will suffer and die and yet rise from the dead. And this must have been completely shocking to Jesus' followers. And yet he goes one step further now in our text this morning by saying that his followers would also die. 
Just look at verse 23. Jesus said to all of them, the word of the Lord says, if anyone would come after me, or if anyone, if you're looking at a CSB, it says follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now we know the word follow to mean have access to your Instagram photos and to see your tweets on my timeline, right? That's how we would define follow, I think. But is this what Jesus has in mind when he says, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me? There are lots of ideas about what it looks like and what it means to follow Jesus. In fact, this week I did some research. I went to WikiHow, which claims to be the the source for how to do anything. So certainly if we're going to learn how to follow Jesus, maybe WikiHow will tell us how to follow Jesus. And I found, much to my delight, how to follow Jesus in eight steps with pictures just fantastic because that's pretty much my reading level right there. The article had been viewed 187,000 times when I accessed it, so it's got to be right, right? Let's take a look. Number one, practice helpfulness, openness, and humility. Number two, how to follow Jesus, talk more about Jesus, which is a good thing to do. Step three, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, not a bad thing at all. Number four, this was a little bizarre to me, but learn a trade or profession. (laughs) I'm guessing because Jesus was a carpenter, those in the skilled trades are maybe closer to Christ-likeness. I'm not sure. That could be true, I suppose. Number five, identify and support the underprivileged. Again, not a bad thing to do at all. Number six, find a church that fits in with your desires for belief and involvement in charity. Number seven, take up your own cross, which sounds a lot like our text this morning, right? I don't think you can read the fine print here. Actually, you can't. Let me just read it for you. The fine print under take up your cross says, you don't need to be a martyr to a great cause to follow Jesus. But you do have to fight your struggles for yourself. Give yourself up to some calling greater than yourself. Stand up for others' benefits, which is the good fight, the spiritual battle. Be a watchman for community standards. And step eight, how to follow Jesus. Seek wisdom and pass along God's good gifts. Is that how to follow Jesus? Most of those are really nice things to do. Again, you could do all of those things and still not trust in Jesus. You could do all of those things and not repent of sin and follow him. In fact, all of that seems kind of a far cry of what Jesus teaches us here in Luke chapter 9. And since Jesus alone is God in the flesh, the supreme source of truth, it's infinitely more important that we understand what he actually says about what it means to follow him. And to begin with, we need to redefine, I think, our term follow. Because following Jesus, as we've already discovered, has little in common with following someone on social media. 
And again, Jesus defines what he means. If anyone would follow me, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. Now, these are not three separate items as though it were a checklist, right? Like, hey, I got two out of three. That's a C minus. That's a passing grade. Great. No, Jesus is describing in three different ways what it looks like, what it means to be one of his followers. And he begins with this almost negative sort of aspect of self-denial. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Following Jesus includes self-denial. It means turning away from our own interests for the sake of something or someone else, namely Jesus Christ. And this turning away from our own desire is something, if you're a parent, you're familiar with this. It's what good parents do at 3 a.m. when there's a baby in the next room crying, wanting to be fed, and everything in your natural body is saying, just let me sleep. But what do you do? You deny yourself, and you get out of bed, and you feed the baby, or consider the way firefighters run into a burning building when everyone else is running out. They deny themselves and put their own lives at stake to rescue the trapped. And here Jesus turns to his followers and says, if anyone wants to follow me, it begins by putting aside your earthly agenda. It begins with putting aside your desire for autonomy. I just wanna do what I wanna do. I wanna call my own shots. I wanna live out my dreams. I wanna be true to, to myself or like every other Disney movie's main theme, right? Jesus says, no, to follow me, you must deny yourself. But there's more, because following Jesus isn't just a life of self-denial, as though we could just kind of live as, the, as aesthetics. You know, I'm just going to deny myself pleasure, I'm going to deny myself joy, I'm going to commit to poverty and hardship, I'll go find some desolate place to live somewhere just to prove how Jesus-like I actually am. No. Following Jesus includes self-denial, not so that we can live empty lives, but so that we might be unhindered to follow Jesus. We know this because of what Jesus says next. If anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, typically when we think of the cross, we think of all of the benefits of the cross. We see it as a plus sign. On the cross, Jesus died for our sin. On the cross, the love of God was demonstrated. On the cross, the sin of all who believe is atoned for. And so we sing how deep the Father's love for us as we gaze at the cross, how vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure, which is absolutely true. But let's not forget that the cross was a place of utter surrender, the cross was a place of awful pain and total humiliation. It was a place of execution, of final and complete death. 
And this is precisely what Jesus means to be his followers. It means turning away from our own desires. It means dying to those things as we pick up our cross daily to follow Jesus, as we identify with him in suffering, however and wherever that might lead. Brothers and sisters, this is not, this is not AP Christianity. This is what it means to be a Christian. If anyone would follow me, Deny yourself and pick up your cross daily and follow me. And this is what Jesus embodied. Paul writes and says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, think and act and live as Christ did. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, following Jesus means embodying the humility and the obedience of Jesus. It means looking at Jesus and adopting that same self-sacrificial attitude that just as the Son was obedient to the Father as he walked on this earth, we are to be obedient to the Son. Whether that is through hardship or through suffering or through persecution, we are to deny ourselves and pick up our cross daily and follow Jesus. That word daily there is interesting. It's a daily call of surrender. It's a daily call of radical followership. What Jesus has in mind here is not, well, I, I did that back at youth camp in 1998, but no Daily, we are called to live this way. We're called to approach the cross of Christ in this way. Which is why Paul would write in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. To continue to present your bodies, right, is, is in the, the original there. It's this continual sacrifice over and over a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. But this is what it means to follow Jesus. And this is why we need to be really good theologians when we teach others, when we disciple others, especially our kids, about what it means to follow Jesus. Because the message of the gospel is not primarily Jesus died so that you don't have to. There is truth to that. Jesus died for sin so that we don't face eternal death, eternal separation for sin. But if that's all we teach, if that's all we disciple, if that's all our kids hear, we've missed something. The message of the gospel is Jesus died for me and he calls me to die for him. It's our death to self that we might follow him by faith that we are made truly alive. Again, 
yes, this does mean, does mean that we will not face eternal death, eternal separation from the triune God. And yes, there is a sense in which Jesus died so that we don't have to. Friends, no one will one day wear the crown who has not first carried the cross. Picking up our cross and following in the footsteps of Jesus isn't something we do to inherit eternal life. No, it's the grateful response of those who have already been rescued and redeemed. Such a key distinction. The cross of Jesus Christ saves all who believe. Our cross is the grateful response, our radical obedience, our saying no to the desires of the flesh, of putting off those desires and putting on Christ and walking according to the Spirit. All things that the Bible teaches us we are called to follow in as Christians is all the grateful response of those who have been rescued and redeemed. And to be clear, all of that runs counter so much of what we read and hear about in Christianity. Because following Jesus will not fix all our earthly problems. Following Jesus will not grant us health and wealth. In fact, Jesus refers to following him as the narrow road and few find it. And he contrasts that with the broad road that many find that's paved well and is easy. And the narrow road of following Jesus is often marked by trials and suffering. And so we do not follow Jesus because it's easy. We follow Jesus because he is the way and the truth and the life. As you heard already this morning through these testimonies. We don't follow Jesus because it's easy. We follow Jesus because he's true. even though following him may bring suffering in this life. Even as we heard in Pastor Nick's prayer just this last week, several pastors in Canada arrested for simply preaching biblical sexuality from their pulpits. And that may come here. Which is why we need to be reminded that the way of the cross is not easy but it's true, and it's worth it. The suffering that we encounter in this life on the road, the narrow road of following Jesus is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed when we see Jesus face to face. If you've not spent some time studying or committing to memory 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, I would encourage you to do that Because we read here Paul writing when he says, therefore we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Right? Even though physically we may face harm, even though physically we we sense the effects of living in a fallen and broken world, of even being beset by our own sin, It does not compare to the glory that is to come. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. 
They're passing, they're fleeting, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We read verse 17 there for this light momentary affliction and you may be tempted to laugh. Like light momentary affliction? I've been suffering persecution or light momentary affliction. I've been dealing with hostility for the cause of Christ. My family has rejected me. People don't understand me. Light momentary affliction. What about the pastors in Canada last week? Light momentary affliction. What about the Christians, countless Christians every single year who are slaughtered because they follow the Lord Jesus Christ? That doesn't seem like light momentary affliction, Paul. Why would you say that? Answer, in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison, anything that we may suffer, anything that we may lose, anything that we may experience as we carry the cross and follow Christ is light and momentary compared to all of eternity and the glory that is to come. And so we look not to the cross and think, what a burden to follow the narrow road, to to follow Jesus, to pick up our cross. Rather, we look to the crown, to the glory that awaits. J.C. Ryle writes, the presence and company of Christ will make amends for all we suffer here below. When we see as we have been seen and look back on our journey of life, we shall wonder at our own faintness of heart. We shall marvel that we made so much of our cross and thought so little of our crown. We shall marvel that in counting the cost, we could ever doubt on which side the balance of profit lay. Let us take courage We are not far from home. It may cost us much to be a true Christian and a consistent holy man or woman, but it pays. And this is Jesus' admonition in this text. And what he's laying out for us really are two ways of living. You can see that more clearly in verses 24 through 26 where he gets to kind of what's behind what he's just said in verse 23, what's propping it up, what's supporting it. He says, for or because whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And again, for, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, right? gains everything you could hope for? You put all your eggs in the basket of the here and now and you actually achieve it. What do you gain if you do that and yet forfeit yourself? Verse 26, because whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Two ways of living. You can try to hold on to this life, which doesn't just mean I'd rather live and not physically die. That's a natural normal human response. But what Jesus is talking about is the desire for this world above everything else. Again, it's putting all of our eggs into the basket of the here and now. How can I fulfill my goals, my desires, my wealth, my pleasure, my longing for power? 
It's living this life as though this life is all there is, which is really the position of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Give me what's mine. I want my best life now, and I'll do whatever it takes to get it. And Jesus says, you live like that, and when I return, you will lose everything. Or you can live in light of eternity. You can deny yourself and pick up your cross, this cross of radical discipleship. And by radical discipleship, I don't necessarily mean that all disciples forsake all earthly pleasure and wealth and riches and move someplace far away and live in destitute to share the gospel with people who have never heard. That may be what it looks like. Radical obedience may simply look kind of ordinary, like getting up each day and putting our hope and confidence in the Lord and opening the scripture and loving our family well and living lives of self-sacrifice and humility and sharing the gospel and living as ambassadors and living according to his word in a world that is going in the opposite direction. And Jesus says, you live like that and when I return, you will receive everything. As the missionary martyr Jim Elliott famously wrote, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So where are you investing? Time, energy, talents, money, hope. What do you identify more with? kingdom citizenship of heaven, that you are united with Christ or something else. You see, like the parable of the talents, we are called to live right now knowing that everything we have, everything we are belongs to God anyway. And one day he will return and we will stand before him and we will give an accounting And those who are by faith his followers, those who turn from sin and trust in him will receive eternal life. And just in case we wonder, is it really worth it, Jesus? I think it's the reason Jesus gives us verse 27 when he says, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. some ambiguity about exactly what Jesus means here about the kingdom of God. Some of you standing here will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God. Is he referring to the transfiguration, which follows in the next section? Is he referring to his resurrection? Is he referring to the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost? Is he referring to the spread of the kingdom as the gospel is preached in the book of Acts? Is he referring to his second coming, of which we await even now? What are you referring to, Jesus? Jesus isn't explicitly clear here, which I think should cause us to be careful about exactly what we connect to what Jesus is referring to. I tend to think he's referring to his transfiguration when some of those standing in front of Jesus right then would actually see a bit of the glory of the kingdom of God with their own eyes. I think Jesus' point is you will be reminded that it is worth it. You're going to see part of my glory. You're going to see part of my power. You're going to see part of my authority. You're going to see my identity as God the Father 
reveals that to you, and you will be amazed. You will question, like, why did we ever even doubt? But again, more importantly than knowing what event Jesus is referring to, I think his point is that it's worth it. It's worth it. Every second of cross-bearing is worth it when we have seen Jesus. I think it's important for us to understand as we are seeking to apply this teaching from Jesus, it's really important for us to understand. And if you only get one thing this morning, get this. Ours is not a cross of atonement, but a cross of discipleship. Like, what does that even mean? This is really good news. Let me explain. On the cross, Jesus Christ atoned for the sin of all who believe. He went to the cross bearing the sin of all who would believe, and he died on the cross, completely paying the penalty for the sin of all who believe, accomplishing our atonement, atoning for that sin. All the sin of all who by faith turn and trust in him. And this morning, if you are not a Christian, I would beg you, to turn to Jesus, that on behalf of Jesus be reconciled back to God. Turn from unbelief and see him. And we pray this morning, even as we've sung, as we've heard testimonies and you've seen baptisms and we've prayed and now the word is being preached, that God would use all of that to open blind eyes. But you walked in here and you didn't know that you were blind. But according to what scripture outlines for us, we we all at one time were blind. We were all in that category. And it's only by the grace of God that he opens our eyes to see, even as we heard in the testimonies this morning, I'm a sinner. Jesus actually is the son of God. He actually died on the cross for my sin. And we turn by faith, recognizing that reality as Pastor Nick in his prayer reminded us, we look upon Jesus the one provided on our behalf, and we are saved. We pray this morning that you would turn to Jesus if you have not done so. I'll be down front afterwards. Pastor Nick will be down. Pastor Nick, the Pastor Taylor, there'll be others around who would love to talk to you. Jesus accomplished our salvation on the cross. It atones for sin. The cross we are called to bear does not atone for our sin. That has already been accomplished. Our cross merely identifies us with the life of Christ. It simply is used by God through his Holy Spirit to form us into the children of God. Children that he calls us to be. He calls us to walk in that same kind of surrender. It's really recognizing a reality that changes everything for us. It's like when you, this is probably a bad example, because all examples that you try to compare to the glory of the triune God are always going to fall so far short. But it's like when you, you, know, you watch a movie for the first time, and it's one of those movies, you get to the end, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, now this is the final piece. 
I wish I had that at the beginning. So you kind of begin to like, you watch the movie again and you see it in a completely different way. cross of Jesus Christ is like that as God opens our eyes to see the glory of his salvation and we trust in him it changes everything we live differently in light of this grand reality that we've seen and are experiencing that living does not save us Jesus already accomplished that but that living is our joyful grateful response of children whose lives have been redeemed, who have been saved, who have been rescued from hell. And this is incredibly good news this morning. If you are tired or anxious or weighted down by all the ways you fall short, maybe you've already been thinking this morning, you know what, I've, I've failed this week to pick up my cross and follow Jesus. I've let the cross fall. I've been dragging it along. I haven't been faithful like I should. Well, the great news, again, friends, is that cross that you carry for the sake of Christ is not a cross of atonement. It's not a cross that saves you. It's a cross of discipleship, of joyful obedience to King Jesus. Our standing before God, friends, is not measured by how well we endure our cross but by Jesus' death on his. Let me say that again. Our, as Christians, our standing before God isn't measured by how well we endure our cross. Our standing as Christians is measured by Jesus' obedience. It's by Jesus' death on his cross. And so, as Christians, we joyfully and gladly pick up our cross. We joyfully and gladly surrender all. We joyfully and gladly orient everything around this new reality that changes how we view the world and ourselves and eternity and our dreams and hopes and aspirations. That's what Jesus means when he says, pick up your cross and follow me. It means that although we are imperfect, we are trusting in the grace of God who has saved us and called us to this life of faith. It means, according to Hebrews chapter 12, that since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's another way of saying, deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. As we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and is seated at the right hand of God, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Do you realize that's like the antidote for growing weary in the Christian faith? There's a lot of ways we can grow weary. We can grow weary if we think that our standing before God is somehow based on our works for God. We can grow weary if we view the Christian life as a checklist. We can grow weary if we begin to look around and try to compare ourselves to other Christians that appear to be so much holier than we are. The antidote to all of that is as we are seeking to lay aside sin and lay aside things that entangle us, we just keep our eyes on Jesus. And we look to him. 
Because we live in a world full of voices and messages telling us what we need to do and don't do and should be and shouldn't be like. And cutting through all of that are the words of Jesus. If anyone would follow me, let him deny himself. Pick up his cross and follow me. For to live in this way, you will save your life. And so this is more about subtraction than addition. It's more about denying or dying to self that we might live to Christ. This is about the life-giving refreshment that comes from seeking his purposes and his kingdom above our own. This is not one more thing to do. This is about dropping our agenda and our frenetic busyness and the weight of our own aspirations that we might turn and follow Jesus. And in so doing, the things of this world might grow strangely dim. That's how we run with perseverance. That's how we don't lose heart because the race has already been won. Jesus accomplished that. And therefore, it is our joy to follow the path that he has set before us. Would you pray with me?